We have found a fourth star map with coordinates to a digital tree. Get in. We don't have much time. Just go without me. I don't have a role to play in any of this anyway. You don't understand. We're more important than you could possibly imagine. Now get in, and let's go. We need you. Loading. A fourth star map. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a fourth star map. I'm Tyler. This is episode two of Sundays and Scrolls. Today, we're going to be talking about John the Forerunner or John the Baptist. Forerunner is a word that essentially means to come before or to precede. And we're going to be talking about the first disciples of Jesus Christ going through the Gospel of Matthew. Here we go. We're starting out with the preaching of John the Baptist. This is Matthew chapter three, verse one. In due course, John the Baptist appeared. He preached in the wilderness of Judea, and this was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. This was the man the prophet Isaiah spoke of when he said, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. This man John wore a garment made of camel hair with a leather belt round his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole Jordan district made their way to him. And as they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, they confessed their sins. But when he saw a number of Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to fly from the retribution that is coming? But if you are repentant, produce the appropriate fruit and do not presume to tell yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. Because I tell you, God can raise children for Abraham from these stones. Even now, the ax is laid to the roots of the trees, so that any tree which fails to produce good fr fruit will be cut down and thrown on the fire. I baptize you in water for repentance, but the one who follows me is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn in a fire that will never go out. Then Jesus appeared. He came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to dissuade him. It is I who need baptism from you, he said and yet you come to me? But Jesus replied, Leave it like this for the time being. It is fitting that we should, in this way, do all that righteousness demands. At this, John gave in to him. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and suddenly the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice spoke from heaven, This is my Son, the Beloved. 
my favor rests on him. Chapter 4, Temptation in the Wilderness Then Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for forty days and forty nights, after which he was very hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn into loaves. But he replied, Scripture says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil then took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for a scripture says, he will put you in his angels' charge, and they will support you on their hands in case you hurt your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Scripture also says, You must not put the Lord your God to the test. Next, taking him to a very high mountain, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. I will give you all these, he said, if you fall at my feet and worship me. Then Jesus replied, Be off, Satan, for Scripture says, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him, and angels appeared and looked after him. Hearing that John had been arrested, he went back to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and settled in Capernaum, a lakeside town on the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. In this way, the prophecy of Isaiah was to be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, way of the sea on the far side of Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people that lived in darkness has seen a great light. On those who dwell in the land and shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that moment, Jesus began preaching with the message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were making a cast in the lake with their net, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Going on from there, he saw another pair of brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. At once, leaving the boat and their father, they followed him. He went round the whole of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing all kinds of diseases and sickness among the people. His fame spread throughout Syria, and those who were suffering from diseases and painful complaints of one kind or another, the possessed, epileptics, the paralyzed, were all brought to him, and he cured them. Large crowds followed him, coming from Galilee, the Decapolis, which essentially just means the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and Transjordania. And that finishes out chapter 4 of Matthew. And we're going to get into the analysis right now. All right. So Matthew chapter 3 about John the Baptist or John the forerunner and Jesus' first disciples opens up with saying, in due course, John the Baptist appeared. Uh, now, I think this is an interesting phrase because essentially it's it's keeping with the trend of the gospel of Matthew to frame things within 
prophetic scripture being fulfilled. So in due course, it's saying in the appropriate time, uh, with all the other prophecies being fulfilled, this forerunner to Jesus, to the Messiah appears. Um, and then it's fulfilling the scripture of Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3 which I'm gonna read the entire thing right now. It starts and says, a voice cries, prepare in the wilderness a way for Yahweh. Make a straight highway for our God across the desert. Let every valley be filled in every mountain and hill be laid low. Let every cliff become a plain and the ridges a valley. So you see this like equalization of opposites, which is really interesting. So. So every mountain and hill will be laid low. Let every cliff become its opposite, which is a plain. Let the high be made low. Let and then and the ridges uh, a valley. So everything is being equalized, um, or at least everything that seems to be higher or above is brought lower. Which is really interesting once we get into the Pharisees and the Sadducees here in a second. Uh, that John talks to. So it says, Then the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all mankind shall see it. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken, a voice commands, Cry. And I answered, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and its beauty like the wildflowers. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of Yahweh blows on them, the grass is without doubt the people. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. So all flesh is grass and its beauty like the wildflowers, I think is interesting because John is described as this wild man who wears, what is it? He wears garments made of camel hair and with a leather belt around his waist and his food is locusts and wild honey. So John is a man of, of the wild and it says all flesh is grass so it's it's uh, equating like this this person who will cry with nature and it says the grass withers the flower fades which is the impermanence of, of the body and if you and, and John was a Baptist right and so if you look at baptisms now um, they'll take the, the person and submerge them in water and it's kind of like a rebirth like a re-entrance and exit from the womb but you can also look at it as the impermanence of the body and like like 70 percent or 80 percent of our bodies are, are made of water and so it's kind of like the, yeah like the impermanence of the body and it going back to i think there's a scripture that says from from dust we were created and dust we will return so it's it's kind of that idea also and so it says when the breath of yahweh blows upon them the grass will wither and the flower will fade so god breathed life into adam into humanity and also that breath is also to to call us back uh into into death and through jesus into eternal life um, so it says the grass withers and the flower fades. Um, and if you equivocate that to John the forerunner or John the Baptist, he was beheaded by Herod. And so that also shows the impermanence uh, of our lives. And then 
um, but the word of God remains forever. And so you can also equivocate that to Jesus eventually being crucified on the cross, but Jesus is embodying the word of God. He's, he's divine, like he's God in the flesh, right? So you have, you know, the flesh the grass withers the flower fades the human body might might die but the word of god which is jesus remains forever and that's the promise of eternal life so in in this prophetic scripture of isaiah um you can pretty clearly see how how john and also jesus fulfill uh these words so then we also have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which come to John to be baptized. And he kind of welcomes them with a harsh, with harsh words. And he calls them a uh, brood of vipers, which a uh, brood of vipers is kind of, we don't, we don't use that type of language anymore. Um, but essentially what that means is like family of snakes. And uh, like, if you remember from Genesis, the, the devil is a snake in the garden of Eden. So, so it's a pretty intense, um, comparison he, he's basically saying that they're like a family of evil and the pharisees back in these days were the keepers of the law um and the sadducees essentially were the wealthy class and so what does john tell the pharisees and the sadducees he says he says first repent now what does repenting mean it essentially means being in touch with your conscience and bringing those sins and those mistakes and those like missings of the mark before God and like admitting that you're human and that you've made mistakes. Essentially being in touch with your conscience and bringing your conscience before God and being in that communication. And so then he also says, secondly, produce the appropriate fruit, which means to me to take the necessary actions to yield results considered appropriate by God. So, like, to make the right sacrifices, to do the right things so that God looks upon your life and can be proud of what you're doing. So repent, produce the appropriate fruit. And third, he says, he says, do not presume to tell yourselves we have Abraham for our father, which he says God can raise children for Abraham from these stones. And to me, this means... Do not rely on lineage or membership in a religious group. Don't say, like, I come from this lineage, I'm part of this group, so that grants me, like, special access or special permission to, to not be in touch with my conscience or to not um, take actions that yield the appropriate fruit. Don't rely on lineage or membership in a group. You have to do the right thing and you have to be in touch with your conscience before God to to produce the right outcomes. That's what I think John the Baptist is saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who obviously, and we'll get more into this when Jesus uh, reprimands them also, they've strayed from, from, these, from this practice, essentially. So here we see Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then verse 9, and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So, and then he says another thing to them. He says, the ax is laid to the roots of the tree, which is again, that 
uh, in the last uh, episode, actually, we talked about how Jesus had come from this long lineage. And because Jesus is like the final sacrifice, like the fun, like the lamb of God, he's the Messiah. He's like the final word in this fight between good and evil. Because of that, like lineage doesn't matter anymore. It's about something else. Um, which Jesus comes and and is going to say later in the Gospels. So, yeah, even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this, essentially what it's saying is that the, the, the matter of lineage is over because Jesus is now come as the Messiah. So uh, it also says... The one who comes after me, or the one who comes after John the Baptist, Jesus, will separate the wheat from the chaff, which is essentially separating the good from the bad. Jesus will make a judgment based on the fruit that that you produce. And so again, Jesus comes to John for for baptism. Here's the wheat from the chaff. Jesus comes to John for baptism, and John is kind of like, yeah. I shouldn't be doing this. Like, you should be the one baptizing me. Like, why? This doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus said, it is fitting that we should, in this way, do all that righteousness demands. We're going to stop right here and take a break for the camera's sake. All right, so here we are. Uh, The word of God remains forever. Jesus' baptism. So essentially, Jesus comes to John uh, for baptism. And John is essentially like, "It it doesn't make sense why am I going to baptize you? Like you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, it is fitting that we should in this way do all that righteousness demands. And so you kind of see here like Jesus submission to, to God, the father and the, the fulfilling of the prophetic scriptures, which is really cool. So he's baptized with water. The heavens open up and it says he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and a wise uh, and a voice spoke from heaven and said this is my son the beloved my favor rests on him so jesus baptism by john is a divine confirmation by god that jesus is divine jesus is the son of god jesus is the messiah so and this is pretty crazy because I was just having a conversation with a friend actually about how some of the greatest spiritual challenges come when you grow closer to God. And so immediately after Jesus' baptism, Jesus is led out into the wilderness, which is by the way, where the the voice cries out in Isaiah, uh, what is it, chapter 40, chapter 40, verse three, and also where, where John is preaching in the wilderness. So, so Jesus is taken back out into the wilderness, uh, where, where it was said that a voice would cry out and prepare a way for the Lord. And it comes immediately after the baptism and he's fasting for 40 days and nights and Satan comes to him at his weakest moment, um, and, and tempts him. Now, what are the, what's the nature? I want to get into the nature of these temptations. Satan comes to Jesus and says, you know, you're so hungry. You should turn these stones to loaves. But we already know from what John said that God can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. 
so so why is, is Satan coming to Jesus to, to tempt that? Like surely Jesus knows. Jesus has talked to John like there's an understanding that Jesus has. He's the son of God. So why is Satan coming and tempting him like this? He's coming to tempt Jesus to manipulate reality for what you need, which we see a lot of in today's society with like manifesting and like let's just manipulate words and, and try and like make the reality what I want and like my truth I have my truth the truth it doesn't matter like the absolute truth the absolute reality um, but it does because that's truth is singular my truth is not the truth his truth is not the truth her truth is not the truth there's the truth and the absolute reality and so that's what Satan is coming to tempt Jesus for. He's saying, manipulate reality for what you need. So the second temptation, he says, you know, jump off this parapet from the temple and be saved by angels. Like these angels are going to come to save you, right? And so he's tempting Jesus to challenge God. And essentially this is based in mistrust. Jesus knows there's an understanding, like I said, there's Jesus is the son of God. Why would Satan be tempting him to mistrust God? But that's what Satan does as a tempter is, is comes and tries to foil plans. So the third temptation is essentially uh, one of disloyalty. So there's mistrust and there's disloyalty. And Satan comes and says, don't worship God, deny God and worship me. And what you'll get from this is I'll give you rule. I'll give you the keys to the kingdoms of all the cities in the world. I'll give you power in this world if you are disloyal. And so you can see that a lot in, in people's personal lives. It, you know, if you don't have loyalty to values or family or friends or something above you, then you'll just kind of be, it gives you license to use other people for your own ends. And in that way, a lot of people do attain power, but at what cost? At the disloyalty to not only God, but your friends and your family and everything else and your values and all of that. So the fourth and final temptation, or th that's the three temptations actually. So after this, uh, after Jesus remains steadfast in his, in his loyalty, his trust, and his, uh, that's essentially what it comes down to, I think, these temptations is loyalty and trust in God. Uh, angels come and look after Jesus. And then we have the return to Galilee, where there's another uh, uh, prophecy in Isaiah. And it says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, or those who live in a land of deep shadow, a light has shone, and, and Jesus is that light. So there's the temptation in the wilderness. And we have the return to Galilee. So now we're moving on to the final subject of today's episode, which is the first disciples. So who was called? Um, we have Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And these guys are fishermen, and they left their nets to follow Jesus. And Jesus essentially says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, and essentially what he's talking about here is as followers of Jesus, you're going to preach the gospel and preach the truth and preach reality and loyalty and trust and love 
to other people and we're, and we're going to gather people together to do this for God. Um, and so that's what he means by fishers of men. And so then also you have uh, James and John that leave their boat and their father to follow Jesus, which is interesting. And Jesus gets more into this later in the gospels, but you know, it, it's kind of funny, you know, it's kind of a big, it's a big jump to make for these guys because it's like, okay, you have to leave your profession then you have to leave your family. And it's like, that's a big thing to ask, but for these values that Jesus represents and for God, like the son of God, uh, the divine in a human, you know, that's something that's worth following. Um, there's a scripture in the Bible somewhere, or maybe it's a quote somewhere. I'll, I'll have to find it and put it in the description somewhere. But it says, I'd rather be a servant in heaven than uh, like a, a ruler in hell. That's because some, you have to you have to be under something. You can't consider yourself the greatest thing that's ever been because it, it's, it's better to practice humility and recognize that there's, there's a God above and there's values that God looks greatly upon. And that's things like loyalty and trust and, and love and discipleship and things like that. Uh, so yeah, it's about leaving behind house or home family and profession to follow Jesus. That's, that's what I get from these, the first disciple scriptures. So then Jesus uh, goes and teaches in the synagogues, uh, brings the good news, cures disease and sickness, uh, becomes incredibly famous in Syria, and large crowds follow him from Galilee, the Decapolis, which is the 10 cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and Transjordania. So at this point, we're going to stop right here uh, as far as the, the scripture goes. And so at, at this point, Jesus is very, I wouldn't say popular, but people have witnessed him do great things and um, be a great teacher. So we'll see what happens next. And I do want to add this, this interesting uh, thing that you guys can go research yourselves. Uh, in Shia Muslim tradition, the, it's, it's believed that John the Baptist, so John the Baptist was beheaded by King Herod. And it's believed by Shia Muslims that his head or skull resides in the Umayyad Mosque in Damascus in Syria, which is the picture on the left. So others believe that the head or the skull resides in the church of San Silvestro in Capite in Rome. I'm not sure where it is, but uh, those are two interesting facts or uh, pieces of information that you can go research yourself. And uh, this concludes Sundays and Scrolls, episode two. Uh, Next, we'll be getting into an episode that I'm, I'm ridiculously excited for, uh, and that's the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. So stay tuned for episode three. This has been a fourth star map. I'm Tyler. Thanks for watching. God bless. I'll see you guys later.